0: We say hello to everybody in the room. We're super grateful that you're here. We say hello to everybody who's watching online. Whether you're already traveling for Christmas, I know we've got people that have already headed out. We've got people in California and people traveling all over the country and the world seeing family and friends throughout this season. And then we also know that there's a lot of sickness and stuff going around. So we say hello to those who chose not to spread your germs to us. We're thankful for you watching online today in that medium. Uh, go ahead and open up your Bible. Go to the gospel of, of Matthew. We're going to be in Matthew and Luke and Hebrews and couple other places today. But again, if you're worshiping with us for the first time, my name's Matt. I get to be one of the pastors here. And we are super grateful that you would choose to make worshiping with us a part of your Christmas season. And our prayer has been that over the last several weeks, as we've been in a series called The Arrival, that it's helped you kind of focus in. We, I'm with you. I love all the fun things of Christmas. I've already watched Elf like four times. Um, I enjoy all those things, but we can't let celebrating and all the things swallow up the main thing. Amen. That first and foremost, this is about us celebrating the birth of Jesus Christ, our Lord and our Savior. And yes, have all the fun, do all the things, wear the ugly Christmas sweaters, buy the gifts, eat the food. But don't forget about Jesus. Don't forget about Jesus. And that's what we've tried to do over these last few Sundays. And today is our last Sunday of gatherings in the year 2022. Christmas is next Sunday, y'all. Wow, it got here. Anybody else feel like this year has just been... I know we say that every year, just warp speed, but it's a week from today, and and because we know that on Christmas Sunday you have a lot of other obligations and pressures and things like that, and I hope that you get to spend Christmas Day with the people that you love most. We're moving our Sunday gatherings to next Friday night, December the 23rd. We'll give you two opportunities to worship in person with us, 5 and 7 p.m., so you pick whichever works best for you. Come to both if you feel so led and just... We're going to have a time of worship and candlelight. It's just going to be an awesome time of worship together. And our hope is that what we do on Friday helps you celebrate on Sunday so that when you open up those gifts for your family and you're having that time, you remember that the light of the world came down. God made good on his promise and we can have life because of it. Amen. Let's go home. All right. Um, and with that, a couple other reminders. Uh, number one, on January the 1st, we won't do any in-person gatherings. A couple times a year, we just say, okay, we're not gonna have church in the building. We're still gonna have church. It's just not gonna be here. And so we're gonna do kind of no in-person gatherings on that Sabbath, give our staff and volunteers a week to just rest and, and just recharge. We will have an amazing online experience we've already filmed ready for you that Sunday. It's an awesome testimony that's gonna inspire you, challenge you. Um, the Vintage Worship Team has already kind of put together some music. So maybe invite somebody you know that doesn't go to church or maybe doesn't even believe. Have um fix them some pancakes that are half as good as the ones Christy Chamberlain made for our volunteers today. Uh, it's, uh, have them over and then just say, hey, while you're here, let me, let me show you something. I want you to watch this with me. And I'm, I know it will inspire you. Then we will return on January the 8th. And I hope you've heard by now that when we do, we're going to go back to a, a two-gathering ska- schedule, one at 9, one at 11. And so help us and be patient with us as we adjust to another new normal at Vintage Church. And we're going to launch a new series um, walking through the promises of God because he's made us many even though he owes us none. And we're going to just walk through that. Also, I, I know this is a lot of information. And when we come back on January the 8th, we're gonna start a Sunday night series for a few weeks. If you've been around finished for the last year, we've done a couple of those. We did one called Released in the Word last January. where We just equipped everybody to be in the Bible. Then we did one about prayer. We're gonna launch one on January the 8th on relationships because I don't know if you know this, but very few of us are good at them. And I'm not just talking about marriage. The reason why we don't have good marriages is because we don't have healthy relationships in general. And so we're going to just spend a few Sunday nights to start the year talking about what God's word says about what it means to have healthy relationships, because we were built for community. We were created in that. And so there's just a lot of cool things that are happening as we move into the new year. And so make sure you take note of that cool things with students and kids and just all the fun stuff. It's going to be 2023 is going to be the best year in the history of our church. I'm going to claim it in Jesus name. I didn't say it was going to be the easiest. I said it was going to be the good, best, okay? All right, so today uh, we are in uh, this series called The Arrival. And my goal throughout this series has been more than just to, to get us ready to celebrate Christmas. It's not just about preparation for the celebration of Jesus' birth. My hope is that as we lean into the Christmas narrative, it also builds our faith. Because that's what we're here to do, right? We're not here just to celebrate the birth of Jesus. We're here to learn what it means to follow him, because that's, God wants more than us just to, to recognize that he came. He wants us to understand why, come on, the reason why he came and what it really means for our everyday lives. Because this, this matters not just as an event on the calendar. This is not just something that, that, that causes us to, to decorate. And, and there's so much more to what this means. And, and God's really been pushing me to continue to understand what it means to walk by faith. Because that's what God has called us to, right? That this thing that we're celebrating, this birth of Jesus, this whole Christianity or being a Christ follower, it's something driven by faith. Faith. It's a word that we've heard most of our lives, even even if you didn't grow up in church, that we're called to to walk by faith, that we live out faith. And last week we talked, we had a really hard conversation, but a necessary one, right? Of, of what some practical ways it looks like to walk by faith. And I challenge us all to be reminded that to walk with God faithfully, you gotta learn to wait patiently. That, that faith is required. It's in the waiting where faith is built. It's in the waiting where we're called to engage. That's when, when God says, okay, I'm gonna put something in your heart. I'm gonna put a dream in your mind. I'm gonna show you something I want you to have. I'm gonna put a desire in you that I'm gonna ask you to wait for it. And I know it's not fun, but it's a reality of all the Bible. Come on. There's not a single person in all the scripture who has inspired you. There's not a single person in all the Bible whose faith you don't respect. That wasn't required to wait. And we talked about how waiting can can do things to us, and that that space between Malachi and Matthew was a long time to wait. You're gonna be asked to be pulled up at Bojangles today, and you're gonna lose your grits. And God asked his people to wait 400 centuries to hear another word from him when Jesus' arrival was announced. And they started just leaning into that. And and I hadn't planned to preach this message, but coming out of last Sunday, like this, God just started reminding me about the necessity of faith, the beauty of faith, what it means to walk by faith and, and what faith requires. That in Hebrews chapter 11 we get this really detailed window into what it means to have faith. Look at it with me again. It's Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1. It's going to be on the screens for you. Now, faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. In that very verse, you see the necessity of waiting, that it's hoping for something you don't yet hold. Hold. It's something that you desire that's not yet in your hand, but you are believing and trusting in God for him to do what he said, to come through on what he promised, to walk in what he has laid out for us in our lives. Faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see, that faith requires us to believe in something that is not immediately in front of us. And there's somebody in the Christmas narrative that to me demonstrates as much faith as anyone in all of the Bible. But he seems to be a footnote in the gospel story. His name is Joseph. Joseph, the one that God chose to have some earthly responsibility to care an earthly man that God entrusted with the child of heaven. And yet it seems as if he's barely even mentioned in the whole thing. But in very few details, I would submit to you, we see some of the most bold, genuine, authentic faith displayed in the way that Joseph navigates what he's asked to do, perhaps more than anybody in all of the Bible. And we know so little about him. You know, we, again, we, we know very little about Jesus' childhood and his, his upbringing, and we see this, this moment when he's born, the moment in the temple with Simeon, this moment when he's about 12 or so, when, he go, when his parents forget about him and he's left behind and he's teaching the word of God in this way that astounds everybody, and then Jesus steps on the scene at 30 and Joseph's gone, and it's widely believed and most likely somewhere along that way in that time frame that Joseph died. And so it's like we just forget about him. And and church history celebrates Mary, and some churches' history elevates Mary to to some strange places. But but Joseph is this man that we see in the Christmas narrative. And the more I look at his story, and the more I've leaned into it the last few weeks, the more I respect the man of faith that he must have been. And Joseph had to do in faith something that we all have to do if we're going to choose to walk with God. And it wasn't far into Joseph. It was true about everybody else that we read about in Hebrews chapter 11. And it's true about your story and my story. You ready for it? No? Oh, there we go. If you're going to walk by faith, you're going to have to release what you have in your plan and embrace what he has in his will. Just leave that up for just a second, Amanda. Y'all give this Amanda Bowman back there trying to keep up with me some love because it ain't real easy to do. I jump all over the place. You're going to have to release what you have in your plan and embrace what he has in his will. Somebody, the moment you read that, you can testify. You are living that out because your life looks nothing like what you thought it would five years ago, 10 years ago, 15 years ago. Last Tuesday, Come on. It's amazing how quickly things can change. But Joseph, maybe more than anybody we have written of in all of Scripture, he had to release what he had in his plan. And you know he had one. You know he had one. He was engaged to marry. And let me tell you something I do a lot of weddings, because that's just the nature of our church. A lot of weddings. A lot of weddings. Y'all need to stop getting married in college football season. That's just mean, okay? That's just, I know it's fall and it's pretty. Indoors in January be fine. No football, it's over. Anyway, what am I talking about? It, you know, I've sat around with a lot of couples, and they all have a plan. They have a plan for this wedding and they want to go a certain way and have those things. Then they have a plan about buying a house and getting a job and where they're going to be in two years. And and, and Chris and Nikki Foster, who do our, our premarital counseling and sit with those couples, they'll tell you they all have this image. And so did I. And so did you. And I've been married almost 23 years now. And it don't look anything like I thought it would. And I love my wife. Record that. My life, But somebody can testify, you're, you know that what you had in mind, the picture that you had in, in your heart, the portrait of your life, if you're like most of us, maybe there's some parts of it that look like you thought it would. But if, I'm, if we're honest, a vast majority of the life we're living now doesn't look like the one we thought we would live and so, in some really good ways and some beautiful ways and maybe even some, some painful ones. But when Joseph and Mary sat around thinking about the life they would have together, I don't think it included all that we know happened. I don't think Joseph expected for Mary to show up one day and say, Hey, I need to tell you something. Okay. I'm pregnant. Okay. By God. Okay. Come on, y'all. Now, do you ever think about that? How, how must have that conversation gone? How, how challenging that would. See, we glance over it because we're so far removed from it and we have so little details about it. But what we celebrate now as sacred would have been scandalous. What we know as sacred would have been scandalous. And for Joseph to em, embrace this and hear this news, and because in the moment she makes this declaration, the moment she says, here's what happened, there's this angel, he said his name was Gabriel, and he showed up and he said, I was with child, and this child's gonna be special, and he's gonna th- this is what the nation of Israel has been waiting for. I'm for some reason God picked me to to carry the Messiah. And Joseph trying to process, process all this and and then does he even believe her? And then all of a sudden, as her belly begins to grow, the emotions that he's experiencing and the, the buzz and the rumor that's happening around, there's a small little town in which they live. And Joseph has to make a choice. He has to make a choice. Will I embrace what he has in his plan or what he has in his will? But to do that, I'm gonna have to let go of what I had in my plan. And Joseph's first reaction is the same one we would have. I'm out. I'm just, I can't do this. I'm I'm just going to divorce her quietly. And he was such a good man. And he was a man of such of standing and character. Look at Matthew chapter one, verses 18 and 19. This is how the birth of Jesus, the Messiah came about. His mother, Mary, was pledged to be married to Joseph. But before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. Because he was a good, he was a good Jewish man. And the law even said, if this happens, you, you have to divorce her. You have to walk away from this. And the, 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 the internal conflict that must have been happening in Joseph's heart and Joseph's mind until finally there comes this point the only way God can convince him is he has to send an angel to him also through a dream. Look at verse 20 of Matthew chapter one. It says, but after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David. Don't be afraid. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. But he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son and he gave him the name Jesus. The faith. The faith. The extraordinary faith that Joseph had. The moment that he embraces this idea, he has to accept our lives are not going to look like I thought they would. Maybe all the times that he and Mary would go for a walk and talk about their future and talk about what they wanted to do and where they wanted to go and the kind of life that they desired to have together. And you say, Matt, that's not in the Bible. No, it's not. But I know people. It's what what we do, isn't it? I've never met a couple that was engaged that didn't sit around and talk about the future they might have together. Share their hopes and their dreams, and maybe, and, and we, we actually forced them to do that because we know they need to be on the same page about that. So if you engage, engaged, see Chris and Nikki before you leave. To have these conversations, and now, I don't think that they thought, you know, what if an angel comes and tells you you're pregnant, that'd be fun. That's not part of what they said. That was not part of their conversations, and now, They've got to, he's got to embrace, okay, this is not what I pictured. This is not my plan, but this is God's will. And if I had to pick between his will and my plan, I believe his will will be greater. Because that's what faith has to embrace. Faith has to embrace that even though it doesn't look like your plan, his will is better that God knows what we don't know and sees what we don't see and to trust him enough to let go of a dream and a plan that you desired much is not an easy thing to do. It requires a lot of faith. And here's the thing, you can't hold both sometimes. Does that make sense? If you're gonna gonna take hold of his will, you're gonna have to let go of your plan. And that's where the tension is, amen? But God, I, I, I really... I don't know if you know this, God, but I really wanted it this way. God, I really, I really wanted to be married before I was 25. God, I really, I really wanted to own a home before I was 30. God, I really wanted to do that. I really, and then something, and here's the thing. Not only is it not what you plan, sometimes God's will is not what you even want. Come on. Like what he chooses for you sometimes is not only what you wouldn't choose for you. It's like, I, I don't want that I'm grateful that God knows what I need and doesn't let what I want get in the way. <laughs> if what i if what I wanted got in the way of what I needed, oh man, and even think about and see one of the things I don't know that we even think about is is the the weight of the responsibility of okay yeah. By faith, you've got to embrace that she's having a child, that she's having a child that's, that's unique, that's special. This is God incarnate. This is the Savior of the world. This is the prophecies being fulfilled. And guess what? You're going to be the earthly person that has some responsibility in his life. What? I mean, being a dad to a normal kid is hard. Can you imagine the weight that he must have filled of, I can't do this. I remember thinking that when my kids were coming into the world. I, Lord, I can barely take care of a dog. Really? Like, you're going to put me in charge of a human? I remember leaving the hospital thinking, like, do they know we're taking them? <laughs> Anybody else ever been like, you know, like, when are the adults coming to say, here, let me have them babies? Right? And here, Joseph is in charge of the Savior of the world. The pressure the weight of that responsibility it's not what he planned he had to let go of what he planned and then not to mention all of the things that are wrapped up in his birth you know now then all of a sudden this census has to to happen remember when Jesus is born Luke chapter 2 Verse four, so Joseph, because they called this census and he had to go and be registered. And it says, Joseph went up from the town of Nazareth to Galilee, to Judea, Judea, to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. And while they were there, the time came for the baby to be born and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in clothes and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them, I don't think they planned that this would be the way they'd welcome this baby boy. I don't think they'd plan to be in a foreign place, in a different town, not even having a nice hotel room to stay in, and this baby having to be born in less than ideal circumstances. And then even what happens next is something that we don't often even look at the amount of faith that it took for Joseph to endure and navigate the first just few years of Jesus life. Because it's one thing to embrace this plan of, "Okay, I'm going to believe because an angel has come to me. I'm going to believe that what's happening inside of Mary is from God. That this is the Lord's plan, and for some reason, he has chosen us to be the ones to, to usher in the greater story that he's writing in humanity, that he's bringing in the Savior of the world, and he's choosing us to do it. And I'm going to have this, this role in this big story that God is doing in all of the earth. But then all of a sudden, after the baby's born, he doesn't get to go back home He doesn't get to go from Bethlehem, now go back to Nazareth and and start to build a life and have some sense of normalcy and be surrounded by family that maybe half of them are believing this and the other half are like, Joseph, I ain't too sure about all this. But there's a king that was over the nation of Israel at the time who gets word of another king that has been born and he throws a wrench into the plans of Mary and Joseph that I'm sure it was unexpected as well. You remember, go back into the word of God. Matthew chapter two, verses one through three. It says, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the time of King Herod, magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, where is the one who's been born king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. And when Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. See, they're looking for a king and Herod's thinking, wait a minute. I'm king. Now we're looking for the one who we saw a star. We've traveled a really long way and, and, and we've been exposed to the word of God. And we'll get into some of that next Friday night. We we'll talk about the wise men and all the misconceptions we have around the Christmas narrative. But we're here to worship. We brought gifts. We want to celebrate that a, a new king has been born. And so verse four, when he had called together, Herod called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. And they told him. In Bethlehem and Judea, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, go and search carefully for this child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. But if you know this story, Herod had no intentions of worshiping this king. He saw him only as a threat. And God reveals that to these wise men from the east, and they go a different way because Herod is so convinced that this baby born in Bethlehem is a threat to his authority, he decides to make sure that they kill every child under a certain age in the entire region and with that another angel shows up in Joseph's presence look at verse 13 of chapter 2 it says when they had gone an angel of the lord appeared to joseph in a dream get up he said take this child and his mother and escape to egypt stay there until i tell you for herod is going to search for the child to kill him once again Joseph's got to abandon his plan to pursue God's will. Oh, oh! you had planned to go back. You, you embrace this child. You end up in Bethlehem. You have this child. And you thought, man, maybe we can return to some normalcy and we'll go back to Nazareth. I'll get my, my carpentry business up and running and Jesus can learn that trade and all. No, they're going to kill Jesus. So you can't go back to Nazareth. You got to go to Egypt for a while. But, but God, I didn't plan to go to Egypt. Well, you're going to have to let go of your plan in order to embrace my will. And guess what Joseph did? Look at me. He did it. Joseph was a man of extraordinary faith. We have so little detail about his story, but what little detail we do is a demonstration of extraordinary faith. He released the plan he had for God's will. And if you're gonna walk, look at me, if you're gonna walk with God faithfully, you're gonna to have to be willing to do the same more often than, than you might prefer. That there are gonna be dreams you have in your heart and plans that you have in your mind that you're gonna to have to let go of in order to take hold of God's will. And that there, there will be tension in that moment that it will be hard for you to be convinced that His will's better because it's not gonna look better on the surface. It's gonna look worse, it's gonna look painful, it's gonna look uncomfortable. And none of us want to embrace uncomfortable and painful. But as somebody who is the byproduct of so many people choosing God's will over their plan, let me just say: if God's calling you to it, do it. I look back over my life, and now I'm grateful for the plans I had that didn't come to pass. Can anybody else testify? It's the it's the gift of hindsight. In the moment when my plan didn't work out, I was mad. I was frustrated. I was hurt. And it's taken me a lot of experience to learn to trust God's will and not hold on to my plan. I'm glad my parents trusted God's will instead of their plan. My mom and dad didn't plan to adopt. They planned to have kids the natural, biological way, the way most of us think we will. They didn't plan to lose child after child. She didn't plan to go through what she went through that I don't really have permission to share, so I won't. But because their plan didn't work out, I ended up in their home. We didn't plan for this church to be in Randall. We planned for this church to be in Greensboro. The guy had a different plan. I didn't plan for us to go through two miscarriages, but I also didn't plan to have twins. I look back over my life and it's littered with plans that didn't happen so that God could do more beautiful things than I had planned. You're going to walk by faith. You're going to have to release what you have in your plan and embrace what he has in his will. And can I say, there's going to be moments when that looks foolish. See, another thing I learned from Joseph's life is extraordinary faith can appear extremely foolish. (laughs) Extraordinary faith can appear extremely foolish. You don't think there weren't times that people walked up to Joseph and said, dude, really? You're believing what Mary has to say? Are you a fool? You don't think there were moments when, when Mary's belly was beginning to grow and they said, Joseph, uh, are you serious, man? Yeah, that's God's child. Are you a fool? Extraordinary faith can appear extremely foolish. Foolish. And that's true about so many people all throughout the Bible. It was true about Joseph. Like, there were people that had to believe him a fool for going through all this, for accepting this, for believing all this stuff to be true. But that's true about every person in all of the Bible that you respect. There's not a single person that did extraordinary, faithful things for God's glory that didn't. Noah, you've been building this ark for 70 years. It ain't rained a drop. Come on, man. Are you foolish? Moses, we've been wandering around this desert for years now. Are you foolish? I think about two that, that are in your notes today. Job. Everybody thought he was crazy, even his own wife. Job chapter two his wife said to him, Are you still maintaining your integrity? Curse God and die. Like, dude, are you crazy right now? Look at all that you've experienced. Are you foolish? And he says, no, like, you're the fool. (laughs) He replied, you are talking like a foolish woman. Shall we accept good from God and not trouble? And all this, Job did not sin in what he said. In John chapter 12, when when Mary came with the alabaster jar of pure nard worth a year's wages and broke it on Jesus' feet and washed it with her hair, there were people who said, this is foolish. Extraordinary faith can appear extremely foolish. And it's hard to live in that tension of faithful and foolishness. and Where's, it? I wonder too, like, where's that line? Cause it seems like a lot of people in the Bible crossed it. But this is what I know, God will, look at me, God will ask you to do things that defy logic. Now, God's giving you your brain. He's giving you sense, I'm not saying, don't hear what I'm not saying, okay? But so much, this woman is pregnant with the child of God. That defies natural logic. God will often invite you into things that defy logic. This church defies logic, defies statistics, defies a lot of those things, just the fact that we're still here after 15 years. It can defy logic, but it cannot deny scripture. That's how I'll tell you to walk that line. It can, it can defy logic, but it cannot deny scripture. In other words, it's, it's, it is foolish if it steps outside the bounds of what God's word says to be right and true and noble and holy and pure and in alignment with his character. Come on, say that if, you, if I'm making sense. It can defy logic, it cannot deny scripture. But let me tell you something. We live in a world, in a culture, that where you're going to constantly appear foolish for your faith. There's already people that think it's foolish that you think that Jesus was more than just a man. It's foolish that you think he was born of a baby. It's foolish for you to believe that he lived an absolutely sinless life. It's foolish for you to believe that his blood shed on a cross was for your forgiveness. It's foolish for you to believe that he walked out of that grave of his own power in full flesh. It's foolish for you to believe that he appeared to over 400 people. It's foolish for you to believe that he physically ascended back to heaven. It's foolish for you to believe that he's there now preparing a place for you to live in our eternity. It's foolish for you to believe that someday he will pop back out of that sky as a king on a horse, ready to defeat the devil and evil once and for all and establish his kingdom forevermore. It's foolish. It's foolish. So you going not have to be willing to look foolish. First Corinthians chapter one, verse 18. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the intelligence of the intelligent, I will frustrate. Where is the wise person? Where is the teacher of the law? Where is the philosopher of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not know him, God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. Jews demanded signs and Greeks looked for wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to the Gentiles. But to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom and the weakness of God is stronger than human strength. Extraordinary faith can appear foolish, especially when you are making the decision to let go of your plan to release your dream and embrace his will and chase it with everything that you have. And Joseph, this man that is seemingly a footnote of Christmas, displayed it in droves as he navigated all the things that god had in his will for him walk in his will because it's the only way father god i pray that right now that you would begin to speak to hearts that you would begin to just move on us with every head bowed and every eyes closed and can I ask you to do something brave for me if you're sitting in the room and maybe you've been wrestling with this idea and you're living in that tension of trying to hold on to things that you had in your plan things that you desired and you know God's calling you in a different way and you've been struggling to release those things and walk in his way I want to pray over you so would you if that's you would you just stand up really quietly Reverend? just rise to your feet right where you are Amen Amen, just stay standing. You're living in that tension of letting go, letting a dream die, letting your will and your way and your preferences be released that you might chase after God's will. Anybody else? I wanna just pray over you that God will give you strength and wisdom and courage to go where he's leading and pursue what he has. maybe you're in the room and you know what you feel the tension of the culture in which we live and you want the courage just to remain faithful to what you know to be true and you want to say God just give me the strength to look foolish (laughs) if I have to if that's you go ahead and stand up where you are as well I want to pray for you Amen 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 I want to ask the The rest of you who are seated, would you join those who are standing and let's pray together and let's worship. God, thank you for who you are. Thank you for the reminder. Thank you for the example that we have and the one you picked to entrust with your son. That God, there are not a lot of details about his story, but there's depth of faith seen in it. And God, I pray that you would help us today. God, I pray for all of us who are struggling, God. To let go of what we have in mind, our plan, our preference, our dreams, our things that we want to see happen in order to walk in the way that you've prepared for us. God, I pray that you would help us to trust you. And God, I pray that you'd help us to even be willing to maybe appear a little bit foolish because of our faith in you. And God, use this time to solidify what you're doing in our hearts and minds in Jesus name.